Welcome home. This is Audio XP for the 5th of October 2019, and the title of this episode is Stargates and A-Halls. It's just you and me for the next few minutes as we catch up with some of the more important or more exciting news from the Geek Native blog this week. Let's start with a question. Would you trade your life, as it is now, for a life of alien adventure? It means saying goodbye to your friends, family, pets and gaming crew and starting afresh with nothing. You don't know what will happen except that it will be dramatic and different and alien. Would you do it? I processed the results of a John Carter from Mars role-playing game survey that Geek Native held. At the end of this podcast, I'll tell you how other people would answer that question. I was quite surprised by the results. Let's stick with sci-fi as we move into the news. A company called Wyvern Gaming has managed to talk MGM into letting them make a Stargate role-playing game. I think one of the things that they said to MGM in that license pitch might have been Stranger Things. This Stargate RPG will be a 5th edition powered RPG. That's right, it's a Dungeons & Dragons version of Stargate. Many people are looking forward to this. This week, Wyvern Gaming announced that they were open to playtesters. This, of course, means you get early access to the game, but you're not allowed to talk about it outside your gaming group. I think you can still apply, but Wyvern Gaming has told me that they've now got plenty of interest. So if you do want in, don't delay. You can find instructions on how to do that on Geek Native. Just search for the Stargate playtest or look in the show notes below. Now, as I've said, Many people are looking forward to this. Geek Native's coverage has been one of the most popular articles this week, but not everyone agrees. I've seen no shortage of people saying that D&D will be a rubbish system for Stargate. But is that fair? We don't know which elements of 5th edition that Wyvern Gaming are planning to use. They may very well throw away all magic as being unfit for Stargate, for example. You know, there's no world in D&D. Yes. Wizards of the Coast publish adventures in the Forgotten Realms, but they also publish adventures in Ravenlost and Eberron, which have a very different feel. The rules to the 5th edition favour abstraction and adventure, rather realism and grit. And that, at least, feels right to Stargate. I guess all I'm saying is that I'm going to wait to see what Wyvern Gaiman manage before writing them off. Oh yeah, it's worth pointing out that there has been a Stargate RPG before, at least it was an SG-1 RPG, and that was based off um, the Spycraft and D20 system. The publisher was AEG. We're going to leave Stargate for now and pass through Doctor Who as we go. I recommend a short film called Corporate Monster. It's only a few minutes long. It's either a film about a poor guy having a breakdown under work stress and starts to see alien monsters when he sees fellow businessmen, Or it's a story about a guy who, thanks to new drugs prescribed to him to combat these stress issues, he can now see through the disguises of the aliens walking among us. If that sounds like John Carpenter's They Live, then that's exactly right. The main actor is Ket Turton. Not a name I had in my head, but I won't forget it now, because IMDB told me that Ket Turton plays Vampire Steve in iZombie, you know, the goth IT expert who happens to play D&D. I really did not recognise him at all. I was distracted by his girlfriend. While I really enjoyed Corporate Monster, I spent much of the film thinking, she looks a lot like Jenna Coleman. Spoiler, 
The actress is Jenna Coleman, and she played Clara Oswald in Doctor Who. If you're a fan of short films, then it's about 10 years worth of recommendations, all tagged short film on the blog. Have a rummage. One last piece of sci-fi news caught my attention in the news this week. That's the fate of Space 1899. Space 1889 is a Victorian steampunk RPG. Imagine if some of those weird science theories from the Victorian era were right. You know, stuff like ether, a mysterious element, being real. That fringe science was enough to take humanity to the stars, where we found, and in true Victorian style, colonised aliens on the moon, Mars and other planets. At the start of the year, a German company called Clockwork Publishing had a licence for Space 1889, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the, na- the German name of the company. They encourage us to use Clockwork Publishing instead. Sadly, Clockwork went bankrupt this year, and the last I heard, they were working with accountants and administrators to try and salvage the business. This week, Ulysses North America bought the rights to Space 1889. Hopefully, Clockwork will get some of the cash for, for the deal. It's a good fit. Ulysses North America is the American arm of the German Ulysses Spiel publisher, and I can see how that would have made negotiations easier. Furthermore, the game's original designer, Frank Chadwick, seems to be actively involved. He's consulting with Ulysses North America. I've played Space 1889 at a convention and had fun. And conventions are our link to the A-hole section of this podcast. This week, a UK-based gaming convention called GameFest was discovered to have been sprouting off all sorts of horrible and extremist views on Twitter. It turns out they've been doing it for a while, slowly escalating in severity. Given how busy Twitter is, if you follow thousands of accounts, few people had noticed. Things changed when GamesFest noticed a Kickstarter from Chris Spivey and Darker Hue Studios called Haunted West. Haunted West is a weird West RPG that very deliberately looks to amplify the forgotten voices of the Old West. The Games Fest account hated the idea that an RPG would focus on anything other than white people. As the account started to tag and mention other people in the gaming community, the gaming community noticed all the extremist and hateful content that Games Fest had been publishing, and they pushed back. Twitter even started to delete the account's most racist and homophobic content. GamesFest Twitter and Facebook accounts have now both been deleted. I think they removed themselves rather than being eliminated by the social media platforms. It's hard to be sure though. The Twitter account had clearly managed to trigger the infamously sluggish algorithms there. I wanted to spend a little time explaining why Geek Native covered that story. I've had at least one comment to say that all a guy was doing was sharing his political views and that Geek Native took part in a witch hunt against him. I don't think that's even close to being right. For a start, it wasn't a personal account. GamesFest was, and here's the scary thing, might still be taking money from attendees and traders. Few people want politics to get in the way of their gaming, and I hope even fewer people want to fund a mouthpiece for terror and hate. At the very least, it was a wholly inappropriate use of a gaming convention's identity. It wasn't a witch hunt either. This guy was thrusting his hate-filled views at people. He was trying to get them to conform to his worldviews, not trying to peacefully live out his. This last point might be a little controversial. I think if you can, you should do something, 
evil wins when good people do nothing. But I'm mindful of the fact that people game to make friends and enjoy escapism. This does influence the stories on Geek Native. You won't read about those game designers who've been kicked out of Facebook groups for inappropriate behaviour. Geek Native does not tend to cover the dozens of squabbles and fights that kick up in the RPG community every month. It's a balance, and I'll try and get it right, but you're always welcome to get in touch and give me your steers to whether you think any given article has struck the balance correctly or got it wrong. Feedback isn't just welcome, it's appreciated. And on that note, let's talk about the RPG Publisher Spotlight. This is Geek Nata's attempt to shine the light on some of the indie studios that deserve a little more publicity. I will announce the October winner shortly, and we're now picking which publisher will star in November. There's a choice of five, and in the running there are The Tabletop Engineer, Jeremy Hart, Cobalt Sage Creations, Dias X Machine Games, and Big Six Adventures. If you're a Geek Native patron, then you'll be able to cast your vote. Please do. An indie studio that's naturally found its way into news this week is Curious Monk. That's a great name for a publisher, I think. This week, Curious Monk has released issue one of the Aperture Guide. That's four adventures for their new Aperture system, 9-1 drive Through RPG. The Aperture system looks interesting, using an actual Aperture mechanic to try and get the dice roll to be a little more interesting than a simple you succeed or you fail result. Furthermore, you can subscribe to the Aperture Guide. That means each month you'll get four new adventures mailed to you. Issue 1 has a zombie apocalypse game, a medical drama, an adventure set in the Wild West, and a steampunk train heist. There's a free preview up on Geek Native, so you can check out the Aperture mechanic at one of the adventures before you spend a penny. The biggest story of the week is a freebie too. It absolutely shows you why it's hard to get noticed if you're a small RPG publisher. This week, Wendy's released a free tabletop role-playing game. Yeah, Wendy's, the burger chain. That Wendy's. Their game is called Feast of Legends, and it's nearly 100 pages long. I've noticed some people calling the game out as nothing but a marketing stunt. That's right, it absolutely is, and I don't think Wendy's are pretending otherwise. We have some infight into the Feast of Legends, thanks to Daniel D. Fox, the creator of Zeolander, because before going to work full-time at Andrews McNeil Universal on Zeolander, Fox worked at VMLYNR. That's a marketing agency that works with Wendy's. So here and now, I can tell you that the game's designers are Matt Keck and Tony Marin, along with lots of other support from co-workers. I think it's excellent that Wendy's has acknowledged the importance of the tabletop community. And that's what's happening whenever a big brand like them spends money to draw interest and acceptance from a community. But yeah, there are other food-based RPGs, and they're from indie studios where two or three extra sales make for a good weekend. Is there room for us all? Yes, if we make room. So that's why I hope efforts like the RPG Publisher Spotlight column are worth the time it takes. Thank you for being a part of it, if you can. Wendy's wasn't the only big brand with fresh gaming news this week. A certain Wizards of the Coast easily got onto the radar again with more unearthed arcana. The D&D publisher seems to be publishing out their playtesting at quite a pace recently. The new rules offer extra character choices for wizards, druids and clerics. 
clerics get access to a new domain called Twilight, druids get a new circle called Wildfire, and wizards get access to the tradition of Onomancy. Onomancy is a divination-based magic on the nature of true names. And on that note of divination, let's wrap up this week's podcast by returning to the possibility of alien adventures because I mentioned I had a surprising result. You see, to win that John Carpenter of Mars RPG, you didn't just have to say whether or not you would say goodbye to every aspect of the day and trade it in for a fresh start tomorrow. You also had to say whether you identified as a geek. So let's look at the non-geeks. 60% of non-geeks would trade their current life for a new one of Alien Adventure. A very different percentage of geeks said the same thing. Only 25% of geeks were prepared to cast off their current family, friends and pets to start adventuring for real. Why do you think that is? Are geeks happier than non-geeks? Or are we just more cautious about adventures? That's one to ponder over the week and until we catch up with the next episode of Audio XP. Thanks for listening.